so we're going to read uh, in the book of Acts in just a little minute. If you want to just open your Bibles, I'm trying to open mine. Uh, you hear the pages rustling? Um, to Acts chapter... Um, let's go to Acts chapter 21. I was going to read a wee bit before that, maybe. Uh, Yeah, we'll just go to Acts chapter 21. Um, is that where we want to go? Yeah, Acts chapter 21. Sorry. Because I don't have it written down. Uh, we'll read from verse 1, reading in the New International Version um, today. Oh, sorry. I knew there was something wrong. I've got the wrong translation open in my Bible. That's why I'm getting confused. Here we go. New international version. Ta-da! That's the picture that my brain normally sees when I go here. Ah, dearie dear. Sorry. Okay. Acts chapter 21, verse 1. It says, After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed in Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. And listen to this. This is what the disciples did. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Verse 5, But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt and prayed. The reason I was going to read maybe a bit from Acts chapter 20 was because when they left Ephesus, they were down on the beach again, and uh, they knelt down and prayed, and it was an emotional farewell. You know, um, it says in verse 38 of uh, chapter 20, we, uh, what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. This is the Ephesian elders talking about Paul. If you've been reading through Acts and following the, uh, the reading plan, which I have here, right, okay, we're almost finished that. It says that they would never, just this understanding that they wouldn't see Paul again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. And, you know, it's just, it says there that they, they tore themselves away from each other. Can you imagine fellowship like that when you have to tear yourselves away from people? You don't want to be separated from people. And that's really what they're talking about here. And then he lands at another destination, meets with the disciples, and it says that through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And they gathered again on the beach. After saying goodbye, verse 6, after saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemus, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters. Sorry. Why does it say four? It is verse 9. It says he had four unmarried daughters. There was more than that. Uh, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. We'll finish there. Agabus comes along. Agabus is a prophet. Uh, you know, he, he's not just somebody who gives a prophecy now and again. He is a prophet. He fulfills the office of a prophet. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 
talks about the gifts of the Spirit and includes prophecy. We're going to 1 Corinthians 14. It talks about prophecy. Uh, verse 1 says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. But Agabus, actually, that was his office. That was his job. He was a prophet. And we read that during in Acts uh, chapter 11, during the time uh, some of the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Remember, we were in Antioch for a while, and one of them was named Agabus. He predicted a famine that was going to come upon uh, that area, and it, you know, he really encouraged the church to give to those who were in need. That famine actually took place. And then many years later, here he is in Caesarea, and he's warning Paul about trouble that lay ahead. Trouble if he went into Jerusalem. And Agabus prophesied over Paul. He took his own belt off, he took the, the belt off of Paul and he tied it around his own hands and his feet. And he said, This is what's going to happen to the owner of this belt when he goes to Jerusalem. In other words, you're going to be bound. And this is exactly what happened to Paul. As you read on in the story, he went to Jerusalem, there was a big uproar, and he, well, try, try and imagine this. Try and imagine this situation. Paul has just heard from these believers that we read about earlier on uh, that through the Spirit they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And then here he is with Agabus, who's given him this prophecy and saying, If you go to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen. And Paul has to make a choice about what he's going to do now. And we're going to come to test and prophecy in a minute. But I think Paul already knew that what Agabus was saying was actually going to happen because he'd already made his mind up. Why are you breaking my heart, he says. I'm ready to go to Jerusalem and not only to be bound, but also to die. And I don't know about you, but I think it's so easy to read these accounts in the Bible, but not actually consider what that actually feels like. What does it feel like to face these types of situations, to face imprisonment, to face beatings, to face abuse, to face death? And I think it's very easy to be academic about all of this and not really to understand what it must be like for Paul, but what must it be like for other Christians in our world today who experience persecution? I said a while ago that we're not really persecuted in this country. Think about it. I'm not persecuted. I come to church to work. I go home. I'm in the schools. I'm in our community. We have a food bank that ministers to over 5,000 people last year. We have an answer project next door which helps people with dementia. And all the ministries that go on in this church from the youngest to the oldest, all these things happen without any hindrance. We are not persecuted. There may be things happening in our world and happening in our nation that are trying to restrict the Christian ethos and, and, and the things that we believe, but we are not persecuted. And we need to consider what it must be like for somebody to face death. Sorry to be so heavy this morning, but let's think about this. Imagine, imagine somebody came to you today with a word and said, next week this is what's going to happen to you. And that was the content of the word. You'd go, whoa, I'm going to test that one. I don't think that's true. Well, in Paul's case, it was true, and he had to make a choice. I'm away off my notes again, sorry. He had to make a choice and I wonder what would we do if we were in Paul's shoes? Paul knew that it was true, but how did he know it was true? And I think it's important that we grasp some principles here because we all want to be guided by God. We all want a word from God. Who here today would love to just hear something directly from God to you? Me, okay. Here's the thing. God speaks to us in all sorts of ways, sometimes through the gift of prophecy 
and in other ways as well. But we need to be open to really receive what God wants to deposit in our hearts. And so let's think a bit about how do we know that it's actually God that's speaking. And uh, I'll try and kind of work this thing as well because I'm behind in my presentation. I think there are three spirits that we need to consider. The first one is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy, we can't even begin to grasp who the Holy Spirit is, okay? Imagine, think back in your minds if you can, to this world covered in water, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters, brooding over the waters. Imagine what the world felt like to be the only two people on the planet. But it's a bit drafty in here. It's like, this is so big. Imagine experiencing God in that moment. This entity called the Holy Spirit, a person called the Holy Spirit. C.S. Lewis, when he tries to describe this, uses the word numinous. It's this presence. It's to be surrounded by something that's divine and awesome and perhaps just a little bit scary at the same time. Hi, Victoria. I just noticed you were in. Nice to see you. (laughs) This incredible presence of God, and it's the same Spirit that's in here today. And we kind of, I think we have, sorry if I'm repeating myself here, I sometimes think we get scared of the Holy Spirit on one hand, and then we want the Holy Spirit on the other. And I think the Holy Spirit can be a bit scary. But what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Let's, I'm not going to dwell on these things. Um, there's notes and scripture references in the little handout thing, uh, if, if you want that. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He's also a Spirit of grace, a Spirit of wisdom and revelation, a Spirit of the glory of God, a Spirit of life, and the Spirit of peace. And these things speak to me about a person that I want to get to know. I like people who tell the truth. That really helps me because then I know where I am with them. Spirit of grace. We all re- like to receive grace, don't we? I, I, I do. I don't know about you. I do. I like to receive grace. Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Do you want wisdom? Do you want to have increased understanding of who God is? All of these things, I think, are very, very tangible and positive things. The one thing that the Holy Spirit is not is the author of confusion, the author of turmoil, of disagreement, of strife, and division. If all that stuff's going on, it's not really to do with God, okay? It's more to do with us, I don't want to live in a place where my life is in confusion. I'm sure you don't either. And the Holy Spirit doesn't want us living in confusion. The Holy Spirit wants us to experience these things that we talked about. Truth, grace, wisdom, experiencing the glory of God, experiencing life and experiencing peace. And so that's the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is the author of the prophetic words that we receive into our life He's not an author of turmoil and confusion. And then, secondly, there's the spirit of the prophet that we need to think about as well. Those who prophesy must be open to testing and correction. The Bible says that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So anyone who prophesies must do so in an open and accountable way. For those of you who are not sure, uh, we have a visitor to the church uh, from time to time. His name is Ray Stokes. And uh, Ray will often prophesy over people. And uh, one of the things that he's very careful to do is to make sure that people realize that what he brings into the life of this church uh, is open to to being tested uh, and to, to be submitted to the authority of leadership in the church. And so there's something about the spirit of Ray when he comes and he prophesies that makes him accountable to local leadership. Whether it's a word for an individual or or a word from the church. 
And we need to also be aware that as we speak, we can sometimes speak not by the Spirit of God, but by our own Spirit. And that's something that we really need to be careful of. The other thing is that sometimes we can have the right thing to say and just say it at the wrong time. And we need to be aware of that as well. So if we are giving a word for somebody else, we need to just be aware of the timing, okay? So if somebody's in the middle of turmoil themselves, they're not really in a place where they want to hear about their future, maybe, maybe not. You know, I heard a story this week um, of a pastor. I think, as far as I know, this is a true story. Um, and that this pastor was wanting to move more in the area of giving prophetic words to individuals. And there was a woman in the congregation uh, one day, and he singled her out and said to her that the Lord had a word for her. And he said to her that uh, uh, her children were going to be saved and not to worry about it. To which the woman said, actually, my children are already saved. They're already Christians. And as we kind of like, oh, okay. And then he said, well, all of your children are going to uh, go on and, uh, and they'll be serving God. And she actually replied, actually, all, I've got three boys and they're all involved in full-time Christian ministry already. And rather than continue, what he did, and this is astounding, he humbled himself and he asked this lady in the congregation to pray for him. He says, because clearly you're more godly than I am. Powerful. Did this pastor stay in this place? No. This pastor went on to develop in this whole area of prophecy and is used currently to give powerful prophetic words to people. But here's what's really important in this. That when we're talking about the spirit of the prophet, the spirit of the prophet needs to be marked by humility. And all of us, when we speak, need to be marked by humility. But there's another side to this as well. There's this kind of forgiveness side of it, because sometimes we don't get it wrong, which is, we don't get it wrong. Sometimes we do get it wrong, which is why we need to test prophecy. We need to test everything that we hear. So if I stand here and I share something in public, that needs to be tested. When there's a word of prophecy, maybe a word of knowledge, an interpretation of a tongue, everything, we need to listen carefully to it, and we need to test it to know that it's from God. And then lastly, there's the spirit of the person who's receiving the prophecy. Anyone who's receiving anything from God must be open to start with to hear what God says, and we must be teachable. If we're not teachable, how are we ever going to learn? I stand here as a 51-year-old, and I want to be taught more about who God is. There are people that I know who are much further down the road in their experiences of God than I am, and I want to learn from everyone. And to be teachable, as far as I am concerned, is a fundamental in church life, whether no matter where you, you fit into the picture, teachability is a fundamental in church life. Also, we need to be willing to hold on to the good things that God is saying. Um, I've lost my reference. I didn't write down the reference for this passage. But Eugene Peterson puts it this way, don't suppress the Spirit and don't stifle those who have a word from the master. On the other hand, don't be gullible. Check out everything and keep only what's good. Throw out anything tainted with evil. The problem comes is that we tend to throw out the baby with the bathwater sometimes. God has spoken, and because we're like, oh, I don't know, actually, I don't, no, I don't think that's right. We just throw everything out. And we miss what God is saying sometimes. So there are three spirits, the Spirit of God, and we've thought about 
very briefly who God is. God wants to bring order and truth and grace and all these things. The spirit of the prophet giving the prophecy, or if you're not a prophet and you are given a prophecy, you can do that as well. That's something that God wants uh, to see in the church, as we read from 1 Corinthians uh, earlier on. And then the spirit of the person receiving the prophecy. There is one fourth area that we need to be careful of, and that is evil spirits, because not every spirit that speaks is the Holy Spirit or even our spirit, and so we need to discern that sometimes. And there are three, three uh, basic principles when it comes to really understanding and testing prophecy. I have asked many people over the years, how do we discern God's voice? How do we know if a prophetic word is actually from God? And from people who prophesy regularly from different streams, there are three things that they say. A word of prophecy should be to encourage, exhort, or comfort. And that are the three, that's the three main areas. So, if we want to, if we want to take what anybody is saying in the prophetic and, and test it, these are kind of three ways that we can do that. Because I say encourage, exhort, and comfort doesn't mean to say that it's going to be fluffy and nice, okay? What Agabus said to Paul wasn't fluffy. He was talking about some really serious stuff that was going to happen to Paul. And whether it's for an individual or a group or a denomination, I think these guiding principles hold true. John says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 John 4.1. So we need to firstly encourage. Prophecy should be about encouragement or one of the areas of prophecy. And we need to bear in mind that all spiritual gifts are there so that the body, which is the church, could be built up. The Bible talks about things like prophecy being for the common good. And what we mean by that is to instruct or improve someone morally or intellectually. That's the dictionary definition. Is what is being said profitable? I don't know about you, but I need encouragement all the time. And you might need encouragement a lot as well. And essentially, I need encouragement to go deeper inward in my faith, to go upward in my devotion, and outward in my service. I don't know that I need to really explain what it means to be encouraged, because you know when somebody's encouraged you, don't you? Because you feel different inside. You go, actually, that, that was really encouraging. Then the second one is to exhort. And I heard a story just this week, actually, uh, a man called Gavin Calver, who works in the mission department for Evangelical Alliance. And he was talking about how somebody gave him a prophetic word that was an exhortation to be brave. Well, you might think there's nothing unusual about that. In his job, he's in the line of fire sometimes. But what was really interesting, and this really, this really struck me, that they were spending some time praying together as a family. And the agreement was at the end of the time praying as a family, they would just spend three minutes listening to what God might say because it's really easy to just keep talking and talking and talking and talking. You know, you ever imagine what it must be like for God just to be listening to three and a half billion people all talking at the same time? It's like, one at a time, please. Anyway, just some time at the end of the prayer time to listen. Three minutes. The reason it's three minutes is because that's as long as his son can actually sit without wriggling about. And in that short time of just listening to, his, uh, to, listening to God, uh, his daughter says, Daddy, I feel God is saying for you to be brave. Wow. Incredible. An exhortation to be brave. And he actually received, he had already received that word, but it was confirmed through one of his kids. An exhortation to be brave. Sometimes prophecy is to exhort us and to encourage us to some kind of action. And then lastly, comfort. And when I think about comfort, I, I do think about 
some of the things that have been spoken to me over, even in the last three and a half years since Andrew left and I took over from Andrew. And uh, various people have encouraged me over that time, and some people have prophesied into my life things which have been incredibly comforting and helpful. Uh, they have, in some cases, been an exhortation as well. And I think of some of the things that Louise Holden has prophesied into my life. You know, way, way back at the, the start of my journey in senior pastor, uh, I met with Louise, and she was, she was giving me a, a, a prophetic word. And I was actually almost finishing our sentences for her because she, she was just spot on. And I found it so encouraging. And it, was, it helped me in this next part of my, my journey. We need encouragement. We need an exhortation sometimes to move, but we also need comfort. And these three things help us to know whether or not prophecy is from God or not. Going on in what we're thinking here, and there's a few other uh, bits that I would like to cover. Is it consistent? And I really think this is so important. Is what is being said to us consistent? Is it along the lines of what God has already been saying? You know, the bottom line is that I should be listening to what God is saying on a day-to-day -day basis. And keeping track of important things, writing them down, and being prayerful about what God is saying. And in most cases, when somebody has had a prophetic word for me, it has been consistent with what God is already, has already been saying. And so ask yourself, is what has been said to me consistent with what God has been saying already? Whether that's in your life as an individual, or sometimes when we get a prophetic word as a church, we need to say, is this from God, or is it not? And so there are a few key things here. Have you been reading your Bible prayerfully and meditating on it? Have you been praying about what God has been saying and asking God to speak into the situation? And what is going on in your life? What are the circumstances in your life at that point in time? And I'm going to give you an illustration of this, because sometimes, sometimes it's easier just to see an example than to really understand this stuff because it's hard to get your head around. I talked a few weeks ago about uh, the time when I moved from Mitsubishi into Crusaders, which is now Urban Saints. And that goes all the way back to uh, 1999, April 1999. And God was already speaking to me through circumstances. One of the major circumstances was I was just about to made, be made redundant from Mitsubishi. That wasn't fun. Um, but also in my daily devotions, uh, a verse of Scripture really stood out to me. And sometimes it's just like a light comes on when you read something. You can have read the same thing hundreds of times. And on this occasion, this verse really stood out to me, Matthew 6.33, which is about seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. And on the 19th of May, I recorded these words. I went through all this process of getting this job with Crusaders. And I remember, I'll never forget, I was, I was driving down Bridge Street, just about to come into what is now Cadell Place, where my mum and Alan stay, and I was just turning around the corner, and it was just like a light come on in my mind, and this phrase, this job is mine, it was a realization, it was an understanding, and I drove down, like this, not even a minute had passed, and into my driveway, and Mary was standing at the door with the phone saying, it's Kevin Simpson on the phone. And I picked up the phone, and Kevin had offered me the job in Crusaders. But God had been guiding me really, really clearly all the way through that and taking notes. And thanks to Keith way back then for encouraging me to journal and keep notes of what God is saying. It was all there. And when it comes back to thinking about that decision, I give you an A4 sheet with all the things that God said through personal devotions, no word of prophecy, just in that daily devotional time of God, listening to God and knowing what God is saying. So when somebody comes with a prophecy, is it consistent with what God has already been saying? If somebody had come and said to me, you're going to go to Africa and become a missionary, I would say, sorry, don't think so, right? Because God's already been saying this, not happening. 
Not that I have any objections of going to Africa as a missionary or anywhere else. It's got to be consistent with what is going on in our lives. Just to give you another example, this is going all the way back to the 23rd of August, 2008. And uh, I was up at Perth at one of our area days, all the, the kind of ministers from the, the various AOG churches, we gather four times a year uh, just to, to, to fellowship, to eat together, to be encouraged, to be trained. And on this occasion, uh, Ray Stokes was there. It was probably one of the first times that we'd come into contact with Ray. And he was there with, with two of his friends, John and his wife, Manette. And I get singled out to come and be prophesied over. And our, pff, man, this was nuts. It was nine and a half minutes worth of people prophesying over me, these three people. And uh, I remember at the end of this, Ian Duthie said to me, uh, he's the minister at the AOG Church in Aberdeen, by the way. Ian said to me, those guys were reading your mail. And they were. It's like they know exactly what's going on in my life. They know what, has, what I've been praying about. And one of the things that I'd been praying about, and say, so I was, you know, you try to get a, a, an idea of where God's wanting you to go. And at that point in time, I was trying to work out whether I should stay as an assistant pastor to Andrew or anybody for that matter. Should I just stay as an assistant or should I be looking to lead a church myself, whether here or somewhere else? And I'd been wrestling with that for a while and praying about it. And uh, I don't think I've ever shared this before. And uh, it was Ray, he said, he, I can't quote exactly what he said, but he referenced the fact that I was in a place of decision, and rather than saying it should be this way or that way, he says, I really feel God is saying it's your choice. I was like, well, thanks very much. <laughs> thanks very much. I wanted a clear, you need to go this way. But here's the interesting thing. In the prophecy that was given to me, and ask anybody who was there, and they'll tell you how accurate it was. In the prophecy that was given to me, there was an area of choice. Paul, in this story, had a choice. I, in this story, had a choice in my story. And I made the decision at that point in time that actually I felt that I did want to lead a church of my own, whether it was here or somewhere else. Thankfully, it was here. God gives us a choice as to what we're going to do. I have a theory as to why God gives us a choice. Or at least I have a theory as to why God gave me a choice. It's because you need to be fully committed to the direction that you take as a Christian. You might not be leading a church, but God is calling us all to do something in his kingdom. And we need to be convinced that this is what God is calling us to so that we follow in the path that God sets for us. Because one of the easiest things in the world is to step out of that when things get a bit difficult. When the heat gets turned on, it's easy to step out of that and to take our own direction. The last point that I have to so I share on this is, is it congruent? And that's a big word. But really what I'm saying is, is what has been said in agreement and in harmony with the Word of God? If somebody says to you through a prophetic word or you feel yourself that God is telling you to do something that is contrary to Scripture, then it's not prophecy. If God's telling you to do something in your head that's contrary to what He's already revealed in Scripture, then it's not God that's speaking. It needs to be consistent with the Word of God. And I've heard various things over the years that people have shared, and I just kind of think, I don't think that's God that's saying that. Is it congruent? Encourage, exhort, comfort. Is it consistent with what God's already saying? And is it in agreement with the Bible. And if it is one of these things, then pray into it and keep seeking God and keep moving into the thing that God has for you. One last point before I finish off with reading a prophecy. One last thing. Okay, maybe I'll just read the prophecy. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. 
Because sometimes prophecies are about giving direction in life. And this is a prophecy by a man called Smith Wigglesworth, which was given back in 1947. And he talks about two distinct moves in the church. If you don't know who Smith Wigglesworth is, he was a Pentecostal uh, pastor who was involved in healings, and he did all sorts of weird things and saw people healed, uh, a man who really moved in the things of the Spirit. And he said there are going to be two distinct moves. During the next few decades, there will be two distinct moves of the Holy Spirit across the church in Great Britain. The first move will affect every church that is open to receive it, notice that, and will be characterized by a restoration of the baptism and gifts of the Holy Spirit. The second move of the Holy Spirit will result in people leaving historic churches and planting new churches. In the duration of each of these moves, the people who are involved will say, this is the great revival. But the Lord says, no, neither is this the great revival, but both are steps towards it. 1947. I don't know if anybody remembers 1947. I don't. I wasn't there. But he talks about distinct things that were happening. And one of them, and this really struck me as I read this prophecy, was about People leaving historic churches and planting new churches. When was this church planted? 1977. Three decades after this prophecy. 1977. This church came into being. Not because there was anything wrong in Hart Hill, but because people felt a burden for this area and to plant something that would be here, an expression of the life of God in this community. And as I read this, I thought, wow. There's a sense of purpose, even in the wider things that God is saying to the church, for our local fellowship here. And then it goes on to say something that's really intrigued me, and I've been thinking about this and praying about this. When the new church phase is on the wane, there will be evident, uh, evidence in the churches something that has not been seen before, a coming together of those with an emphasis on the Word and those with an emphasis on the Spirit coming together. When the Word and the Spirit come together, there will be the biggest movement of the Holy Spirit that the nation and indeed the world has ever seen. It will mark the beginning of a revival that will eclipse anything that has been witnessed within these shores, even the Wesleyan and the Welsh revivals for of former years. The outpouring of God's Holy Spirit will flow over from the UK to the mainland of Europe, and there will be uh, they will begin a missionary move to the ends of the earth. There are some things in that that I think we really need to be looking at what God is saying to His church overall. What is God doing in the church as a whole? What is He saying? And it really excites me, the whole idea of people with an emphasis on the Word. It's all about the Bible, and the Bible is the thing that we need to be engaged with. And then some people who are all like, it's all about the Holy Spirit and the things that the Spirit's doing, the gifts of the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit. Who's right? Both are right. And imagine when both come together and these things flow, where there's good teaching of the Word of God accompanied by the Holy Spirit moving. I just get excited as I read this. I get excited about what God wants to do in our time and in our generation a couple of weeks ago, do you remember I talked about, you know, how good would it have been to live during the war years? Remember that? For those of you who were here. You know, it's like, I, I don't think so. I'm, I'm happy to be alive just now. I, I, I want to be all that I can be for God today. Do you want to be all that you can be for God today? One or two people. Okay, one or two people do. That's encouraging. Everything that God says needs to be tested. And I, I guess if I would say anything, is that we pray for an increase in the revelation through the things of the Spirit, an increase in prophecy. We need to judge when God is saying things, especially when it's directional, especially when it's for your own life and the direction you should go. And it should always be backed up by what God is already saying to you. There should be a, a place for the plane to land. 
okay? If prophecy's like a plane, it needs a runway to land on, okay? And that's what God's already saying to you. What God's already saying is building that runway so that when a prophecy comes, it's like somewhere to land. The plane needs somewhere to land. And that's what's so important. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. There needs to be a discerning, there needs to be a judging of prophecy. And can I just caution us at the very end to be careful of people who claim to have secret wisdom, hidden knowledge, and those who talk about the Bible having hidden codes and secret meanings. I don't think that's what the Bible is about, and I don't think that's what God's about. Gnosticism was a problem for the early church, and it's a problem for the church today. People who claim to have superior wisdom and knowledge. The Holy Spirit is the person who reveals things to us. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. Be wary of any teaching that is not founded in God's Word. That's what people were trying to do in the early church. And where people place Jesus is of paramount importance. If you want to know where people are at as a church or individuals, ask them where they put Jesus. Because if Jesus isn't the Son of God, then there's a problem. Jesus is fully God and fully man, was born of the Virgin Mary, led a sinless life, died on a cross for our sins, conquered death, hell, and the grave, rose on the third day, appeared to his disciples, ascended into heaven, and poured out the Holy Spirit on the church, and still builds the church today. That's the Jesus that I am following. And we, in Acts 29 days, are following in his footsteps and involved in building the church. Jesus was crystal clear about this. Matthew 7, 15 to 16, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Let's be aware of what we're listening to. Let's be aware of what people are speaking into our lives. And the greater we get involved in other things that are happening around about us, the more we need to be able to distinguish between spirits and know what is God that's speaking and what's maybe our own spirits that's speaking and what could potentially sometimes be actually the, the enemy speaking. Remember when Jesus was in the desert for 40 days and he'd fasted and prayed and he was being tempted by the devil? What did he say? He used the word of God. He used the Word of God to tempt the Word of God. And Jesus knew exactly what was happening. He recognized where the Spirit was coming from. Let us continue to really seek to listen to what God says to us today. Maybe we could just bow our heads. Musicians, come back up. And uh, we're going to finish off uh, our time today. Father, we thank you for the gift of fellowship. Father, we thank you for each other. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. We thank you that you have called us for such a time as this to be your witnesses in this world. And Lord, our world needs witnesses. And Father, we pray that you come and that you strengthen your church. Father, that you would give us the resources that we need in order to fulfill your purpose, your mission, your ministry on this earth. Father, to take what you put in our hands and to use it today. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to just keep in step with the Spirit. Lord, as we open up our Bibles day by day, 
that our hearts would be open and ready to receive. Lord, that your Spirit would move upon us and that you bring revelation into our hearts, that you would lead us and guide us. And Father, I pray today over this congregation that you would just increase the hunger that we have for the things of the Spirit. Lord, that we would empty ourselves and just be hungry for you. Lord, we pray over those who need, just need something from you today. Father, those who need a touch in their body from you today. Father, those who need a touch in their minds from you today, their emotions. Father, those who need a touch in their spirits from you today. Father, we pray that as we lift our hands to you, can I just encourage you, if you need something from God, just to lift your hands to him today as you would be if you were worshiping. Let's just lift our hands if there are things which you need today from God. And let us really pray and believe that God will answer those needs that we have. Father, for those who need a, a touch in their body, they need physical healing. Father, we pray that you would come. Holy Spirit, come and just minister gifts of healing into the life of this congregation today. Lord, we think of those who are not here today who would love to be here. And Lord, we pray that you bring healing into bodies, that you bring strength into bodies. Father, that you bring wholeness into bodies today. Father, for those who need a touch in their emotions, Father, perhaps things that have gripped their thinking over the course of the week, maybe even longer. Father, things which have gotten into our thinking. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to take captive every thought and make it subject to Christ. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd come and that you'd reveal those things to us and help us to act on what you say. And for those who need a touch in their spirit, just to be revived and encouraged, Lord, we pray that you'd come by your grace and that you would keep your hand upon every individual who holds up their hands in need to you today. Father, we just receive from you today those things which we need. As we pray to you, Father, we receive those things which you have promised us. Just in a few moments of it being quiet, let's just pray out now to God the things which we are really seeking him for and uh, allow God to really minister into your heart today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Father, we just receive from you today. And uh, Lord, we give you all the praise. We give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the thanksgiving. Father, you're worthy of our praise, and we just love you this morning. We just love to say that we love you. And Father, you are our everything. You are our all in all. And Father, we just receive from you today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. just as I was praying, Elaine, you and I are in the same club, we're quite short physically, but God said to me that if you were the same size as the heart of compassion that's in you, you'd be a giant in here, and you are a giant. You don't make a big fuss, you don't 
You make a big song and dance about things, but God sees that heart of compassion and he sees that spirit. And uh, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm encouraged by it. And uh, God knows what he's doing with you. Father, we just thank you and we praise you because you're an incredible God. You're a God who loves us. You're a God who longs to pour good things into our lives. And Father, we pray that you just help us to receive from you today all that you have for us. All that you have for us. Father, help us not to hold back. Father, when you ask us to run, we just pray that we would run with all our strength. Father, when you ask us to stay still for a while, Lord, we pray that you'd help us not to fidget. Just to be at peace when you ask us to stay still. And Father, we just pray that you'd move amongst us. And Father, that you'd lift us up. Father, lift us up into new places in you. And Father, just think about that word that that you shared all those years ago. Behold, I do a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Yeah, Father, you're already doing the new thing. And we see it and we thank you for it and we look for more. Father, we look to be stepping into the plans and purposes that you have for us. Father, to be getting into the river of God, to be getting into the flow of what you want to do. Because, Father, you talk about streams in the desert. And, Father, we pray for a release of life through every ministry in this church. Father, that there'd be a release of people coming to know you, people becoming Christians, people getting saved and set free. Father, that there'd be a release of discipleship and a hunger for your word and for training and teaching and a rising up of leadership in the church. Father, that you would raise up new leaders in the life of this fellowship who will take on responsibility, who will take the word of God and who will take the compassion that they have for people and bring those two together. And Father, really be ministers in this community for you. Father, we thank you for every ministry. Lord, you talk about a way in the wilderness. Father, every ministry of this church reaching out into this community. Father, we pray that you bless it. Father, that you bless every leader. May we be strengthened and encouraged to keep on doing the things that you have for us. Father, we pray that this place would be filled with fruit. So, Lord, we just pray, keep your hand upon us as we go into this week. Lord, we pray that you bless us and that you would keep us in, that you would make your face to shine upon us. Father, that we would just know the smile of God over our lives today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen.